Okay, time to do another award-losing episode of Cinemaholics. Just gotta call Will Ashton to find out what he thinks about the latest movies and TV shows. Oh. Oh, wait. That's right, Will's out of town. On vacation. (laughs) Without me. I I guess he's hanging out with his family again. Or something, whatever. Oh, well, I'm sure I can pass the time without him. Let's see, just gotta dig out the old smartphone and look at my contacts list. All right. Who's available? No, John Stamos is probably still in bed. George Takei? Oh, no, he's still mad at me about that sprinkler thing. Weird, I thought I deleted Josh Peck's number. Oh, here we go. I haven't talked to Abby in a while. Hello? Abby! Abby Old Chessie, it's John Negroni. Oh, right. That's weird. You you don't sound surprised to hear from me. Yeah, uh, Will might have mentioned you were going to call. Wait, what? Wait, when did he... Uh, about two weeks ago, he found out he was going out of town. I, I guess he had a feeling you were going to reach out. Right. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, how are you doing? John, is this important? W- what do you mean? Look, I'm no therapist, but... It seems to me like maybe you're struggling with some dependency issues when it comes to Will. Abby, you're... Scaring you again? Yeah, Will told me you'd say that. Wow. Gosh, Abby, I mean, what am I supposed to do now? Well, John, I have a surprise for you. Yeah, well... I bet it won't make me happy one little bit. Will, you can come out now. Abby, if this is some kind of sick joke... Hey, John. Will? Will, is that really you? Yeah, it's me. I'm back from vacation, early. Will, is this whole thing some kind of big lesson you've been trying to teach me about not just social distancing, but emotionally distancing as well? Honestly, not really. Oh, okay. Can we maybe just start the... uh... Yeah, Yeah, let's uh, let's get the show going. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni, box office columnist for Adam Tickets, staff writer for The Young Folks, and head writer of Cinemaholics.com. He is, of course, a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hi, John. And coming to us live from the internet, Kansas, she is the film editor for The Pitch and one of our favorite recurring guest stars on Cinemaholics. It's Abby Ochesi. Hi. Abby, how have you been doing lately? What, what's been going on in your world since we last spoke, uh, I don't know, a few months ago? Yeah, it's been a little while. Um, I have been just hanging out uh, here in my in my house in the internet, Kansas City. Um, and I have been um, working as the uh, film editor for The Pitch since about March, uh, writing up film news and reviews over there. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. It was pretty exciting. Um, And in addition to that, I've been uh, doing a running column on new streaming releases over at Crooked Marquee. So that's what's been keeping me busy most of the time. 
wonderful plug and we'll be sure to link to abby's twitter and other things in the show notes definitely check out her work uh we're glad to have you on the show abby for what should be a pretty interesting episode with uh, some films that i don't know i didn't really see coming this week when we were looking into what the show might be about but before we get into all that you can find more episodes of cinemaholics including our full archive every episode we've ever done on cinemaholics.com our email if you want to reach out to us is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com And as always, we invite you to become one of our monthly patrons if you want to support the show directly. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash cinemaholics. All that stuff is in the show notes as usual. And we appreciate all your support. All right, let's go through our off topics. A few things to get to before we get into our big reviews. Uh, First up, we had our latest Extra Milestone. Extra Milestone is our film anniversary series hosted by Sam Nolan. And this week, Sam invited Will Ashton and Julia Tatey onto the show to talk about the 1934 film All Quiet on the Western Front. Well, I just finished listening to the episode and because I wasn't on it, I was sad that I had to miss it, but you guys did a great job. I really loved the rundown you did of this war movie or this anti-war movie. Well, thank you. I can't take credit. It's mostly Sam and Julia, but I appreciate the compliment nonetheless. Uh, definitely check that out. The conversation was fierce. Real quick, I want to say, uh, you know, lately I've been talking about video games here and there, and usually it's because if it's a game that's really cinematic, and I just want to say, I don't know if some of our listeners have heard of a new game called Ghost of Tsushima, which is really fun. It's kind of like if you took the films of Kurosawa and made an open world sort of combination of like Assassin's Creed and the Elder Scrolls games and just kind of mashed them together. I have been playing this game where it's like I'm living a samurai movie. If you love Kurosawa and Ozu films, uh, you you will probably enjoy, and if you love video games, you'll probably really enjoy this game. And so I wanted to plug it real fast. I am absolutely adoring it. I was playing a whole bunch of it this past week. There's this mode, for example, where you, and I I only play in this mode, where you literally, it's called Kurosawa mode, and you turn off the color. So it's like in black and white, and they actually like make the audio and some of the visuals like crackle like a real film reel. And it actually sounds like you're in a theater and you're playing the movie. I'm just saying it's like no other video game experience I have ever experienced. And this is, of course, my obligatory you should play this game you're never going to play and kind of go from there but uh yeah i don't know um abby if you like video games or kurosawa but uh if you know anybody who does at least i i highly recommend it great yeah i've i've heard really good things about it and uh i have been over the uh the period of quarantine i've been kind of slowly getting into video games so eventually maybe my my skill level will be up to the point where i can start playing that it's i've been seeing nothing but really cool visuals and and reviews from it I could definitely see you getting a real kick out of it, um, especially with all the film references um, that I'm sure you'll pick up on. But okay, real quick, we have a birthday shout out for Rebecca. So this comes to us from her friend, Karen, who sent us a very brief email. Just want to point that out. Uh, Karen wants to know what we think of the Karen meme. And I don't know how to answer this question. I don't know what I think of the Karen meme, to be honest, but uh, I don't know. Uh, Will Ashton, what do you think of the Karen meme? Uh, well, like you said before, it's kind of vague, so I'm not, I'm not sure she's referring to a specific Karen meme or just the like general Karen meme, but I'm assuming it's like the general thing where now we're kind of calling disruptive white women Karens and people are getting annoyed about it, I guess. And, or people named Karen are getting annoyed about it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Some of them I saw are funny, (laughs) I guess. I mean, I I don't know if I have like a fully fledged opinion on it, uh, 
Sorry to disappoint, but I I am disappointed myself because I don't really either. I just think it's like much ado about not much. Um, but I don't know, Abby. What do you think? Um, I I go kind of hot and cold on it. Like I get where it's coming from. Um, I also know several Karens who are are nice, and they're people named Karen, not not Karens. Um, but uh, I have actually seen the most recent episode of um the podcast decoder ring goes into the kind of origin and growth of the Karen meme. And I haven't listened to that yet, but decoder rings a pretty good podcast. So I am really curious to see what, uh, Willa Paskin has to say about that. All right. Yeah. I would much rather point our listeners, including Karen and her friend, Rebecca, um, to that podcast. I'm sure they'll have a very, uh, fruitful conversation compared to us. Uh, cause yeah, like I said, it's, it's one of those things where like, I don't know, memes are so ephemeral that I never find myself really thinking too deeply about them, or at least in terms of like these like cultural ones that are used as like shorthand. To me, it's it seems pretty harmless and it's something that's going to kind of fade away in time. But yeah, you never know. Um, I'm not an expert on social studies like that. So next up, I did want to point out there were other movies that came out this week that we are not covering. And uh, one of them includes Kissing Booth 2, which is a sequel to one of the big Netflix romantic comedy successes from a couple years ago. Uh, This one has been scaring away film critics because of its long runtime of, you guessed it, two hours and 10 minutes for a Netflix romantic comedy. It seems pretty beefy for that sort of thing. But yeah, none of us saw it. But Will, I think you reached out to uh, somebody who really knows these movies inside and out, or at least the first one. And uh, did, did they have anything to say about Kissing Booth 2? Because I think you said that this person has not seen it. Uh, I believe you're referring to my 15-year-old sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who I asked uh, this week while I was on vacation. I was like, hey, uh, have you seen The Kissing Booth? And she's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, well, what do you think of it? It's like, it's not that good. I don't think I finished it. And I'm like, okay, but that that's probably uh, good to know because you're the key target demographic yeah. for this and if you're not really digging this I, I can't imagine i would like it either so that was very informative i felt and abby i think you said uh you've heard you've heard some reactions to kissing booth too i have not i don't know anyone who's seen it but what, what what's your ear on the ground for this one? First of all i had no idea that it was over two hours in length that's ridiculous um but also i have heard from just kind of general gathering that it's not quite as egregious as kissing booth one was like not quite as cringeworthy maybe a little more um kind of female forward which is good i am happy to see more of that um i think i also saw something from an interview with joey king the star where she said that it was critic proof which as a critic kind of made me rankle a little bit so um i don't really have any yeah I don't really have any uh, big plans in the future to watch Kissing, Kissing Booth 2, but um, I'm I'm happy to know that of the two of them, it's it's the less bad. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be surprised um, either way because I have not seen the first movie and I, I don't really plan to. I don't know if I'll ever get to it ever. But there's another movie, uh, Animal Crackers. Will, what is going on with Animal Crackers? Weren't we supposed to see this movie in 2017? Yeah, I mean, I guess for a little bit of context, uh, when we started out the show, uh, I guess this would have been around February or March of 2017, you laid out this big spreadsheet of like all the films we would probably cover and like different things. 
And one week, I forget which, in 2017, you had the main review as this movie called yeah. Animal Crackers. And I'm like, John, what is Animal Crackers? <laughs> and it's like, it's a movie that's coming out that week. I'm like, uh, okay, I guess we'll get to it when we get to it. And we never did because it didn't come out then. It's apparently been some sort of uh, prolonged legal battle where uh, the release, I think it might have been, it might have come out internationally throughout the past two or three years, but uh, it never really got an official U.S. release until now because Netflix somehow uh, sorted it all out and released it. And it's apparently doing all right on there. I guess it's in the top 10. Uh, and that's where I remembered it was a thing because I was like, oh, yeah, that was that movie. John uh, was insistent that we cover in 2017 if we could. But uh, I guess now nah, it's actually available for us. Uh, he has uh, opted not to see it. So we have not covered it. Yeah, I mean, you got to strike while the iron's hot, Will Ashton. I mean, uh, my my enthusiasm and uh, the momentum for Animal Crackers died out in 2017 with its release date, unfortunately, for that film. But yeah, I haven't heard anything if it's good or bad. Uh, curious if some listeners might check it out out of curiosity. Uh, reach out to us if you do and let us know about the film, if it's worth covering on the show. We'll leave it up to the listeners of Cinemaholics. And then last, Radioactive. We talked about this as uh, this is the I think this is on Amazon Prime Video, new film starring Rosamund Pike, and we talked about maybe covering this one on the show. Uh, but reviews were not very good for this, and it just kind of fell through the cracks for us. We decided to focus on other things, but uh, Radioactive, yeah, I've I've heard the reviews are not very good. Abby, have you heard anything about this new movie? Um, I have not heard much that is positive about it. Um, I've heard that it kind of fits into the biopic kind of trough um, pretty well and then kind of escapes by the end, um, which is kind of a bummer because I uh, I really like uh, Marjan Satrapi, the director, uh, as, as an artist and am interested to kind of see where her directing career goes. So it's, it's a little bit of a disappointment to see somebody who I know can have kind of a creative and sometimes transgressive take on stuff. Um, do something that feels so traditional. Um, I'm still kind of curious to check it out, but uh, yeah, no big rush right now. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts echo Abby. I mean, I was mostly interested because of the director. I, I quite enjoyed Persopolis and the voices. Uh, so it's like, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll keep this one in mind, but the reviews being as they were uh, ultimately kept me from watching it, which is a shame, but I won't dissuade it. I mean, maybe somewhere down the road, I'll check it out, but I was discouraged to hear that was kind of uh, middling as far as its execution. Yeah, I'm also a fan of The Voices, which did, uh, if you know the premise of that film, kind of, yeah, makes you kind of curious that this would be a kind of a different sort of biopic. But uh, apparently that's not the case in a good way. So, yeah, same for me. I did not prioritize this one. But uh, again, if uh, it comes to it, uh, maybe we'll be able to check it out at some point. It is streaming right now on Amazon Prime Video, so it's pretty accessible for subscribers of that service. All right, last thing. Will, you wanted to ask a question uh, raise a question to us about video on demand and uh, I'll let you do that now. I'm really, really uh, chomping at the bit to address this. I guess so. Yeah, I just was curious because uh, this week they announced that Bill and Ted three Bill and Ted face the music is going to be a uh, in theater and on demand release on September 1st. And given just the general state of things in the US, that seems like it's primarily going to be a on-demand release and then maybe a few drive-ins throughout the country will play it which i mean i'm kind of of two minds because on the one hand i'm like you know it's disappointing that such a big film that was meant to be in theaters that fought really hard to be in theaters uh is now kind of get is going to get a quieter vod release 
But at the same time, I'm like, well, if it does go to a drive-in near me, that could be a really cool opportunity if they do like, say, like Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure followed by this or maybe even uh, Excellent Adventure, Bogus Journey, and then this new one because you could see all three uh, back to back to back. And then also it's like, would this really have done that well in theaters if it did? Because it's uh, another um, comedy that's like been long in the works and it's just coming out decades later. It's like traditionally that hasn't really done t- too well in theaters as far as like these things go. So it's like maybe this was the wiser route because the people who were interested in it will see it uh, directly as opposed to like, you know, like they are like, oh, you know, I'll just wait until it's on DVD or whatever. Like now they'll probably check it out. But there's probably going to be that $20 asking price, which might dissuade people. So I was just kind of curious with that all in mind. Like, do you think other movies like this, uh, not specifically Bill and Ted, but just like other kind of big films, is it more viable or more in your interest to see some of these movies kind of just go to VOD now that we're going to be seeing this kind of quarantine period going into the fall, maybe even the spring? Uh, Or uh, would you rather just a lot of them like Tenet just like push back for like a year or so now? I mean, it's going to probably waver with each movie, but just your general thoughts. I was curious about. Yeah, I think that similar to you, I'm of two minds, right? Uh, A movie like Bill and Ted Face the Music, it's not something like I really like those movies. Uh, Those are like very foundational films for me. Uh, They're films that uh, I always really liked history. So I remember watching them like when I was a bit younger and just really enjoying those characters and the time traveling shenanigans. And so the idea of them returning to face the music, I'm all for it. But that's not a film that I necessarily like. I would love to see it at a drive in. I think that would be maybe even more fun than seeing it in a movie theater in some ways. Uh, For me, it's a little tricky because I don't know about YouTube, but drive-ins around me have been sold out like crazy. Like you, they sell out within like 10 minutes of tickets going up. And that's for films that are already out. Um, So like things like Forrest Gump or whatever they're playing that people are just anxious to go to drive-ins in my area. And I don't know if that's happening around, like, I don't know if that's happened for you, Will and Abby. And so that's something that's sort of dissuading me from relying on drive-ins is like, there maybe there's not enough supply to meet the demand in all locations also yeah i mean films like tenet and mulan like i really want to see those on the big screen i mean i can't imagine not you know we were talking about the new pixar maybe soul uh there's rumors that that might go straight to disney plus and yeah i was gonna mention that too yeah like the idea of seeing a new pixar movie for the first time and like at home is just i don't i don't know if i'm ready for that i i don't think i've ever seen a pixar film for the first time outside of the theater um and i mean pixar films have defined my life i mean there's toy story is one of the first movies i ever saw in a theater and since then i've seen all of them in the theater and so it's like it feels like part of me it feels like very resistant to this because it's like it's like we're losing something or we have to leave something behind and i don't want to believe that we're leaving it behind necessarily like this has to happen and i wish something could change and uh it seems to me like one potential path for this is that some things are going to come out in vod for the u.s or premium view rental that sort of thing and then the rest of the world is going to get stuff because they're going to be able to open earlier than the United States. So that's that's the tension for me right now. Um, what, do, what do you think of all this, Abby? What, what's going on in your head? That's a yeah, that's an excellent question and kind of a conundrum. Yeah, like the two of you, I, I it depends on the film. Uh, yeah, something like Tenet or uh, the uh, Wonder Woman sequel um, or uh, yeah, or Mulan, I would much rather see on a larger screen because I feel like that's where it's going to make the most impact. Um, 
But something that I've actually really appreciated is the uh, kind of extra platform that going straight to VOD has given smaller releases, like stuff that may have uh, played and actually currently is playing with limited capacity in my town um, on uh, smaller, more independently owned theaters, um, but are actually getting a slightly larger exposure by being available on uh, like Amazon or, or Netflix when otherwise we would have had to wait a little bit longer. Um, so this time when I recommend that somebody watch a film that usually gets a, a smaller, more limited release, there's a larger likelihood that more people will be able to see it. So for smaller films, I think it's great. Uh, for Bill and Ted, I think I would probably be willing to watch that on a smaller screen rather than a, a big screen. Um, there's something about those movies specifically that I think just kind of goes well with uh, your couch and a big bowl of popcorn and a drink by your side. Um, so that's, I think, something that I'm, I'm going to be happy to watch at home once it's out. All right. Yeah. Excellent points. And, you know, we could have a much longer conversation about this, including like all the financial implications. Right. And there's there's a lot to discuss here. But we do have some movies to get to. So we'll do that now. Let's talk about one of those video on demand films. And and I think it's a good example, Abby, of a movie that probably I think I don't know if it ever was planned for theatrical release. Uh, I know. I think it was, but I, I was going to okay. say, yeah, this movie and then last week's Relic are definitely, I think, two films that right. benefit enormously from this drive-in uh, option. I, I know definitely Relic, I think, did much better than it would have in a normal theatrical climate, which is encouraging to hear. Similarly for Greyhound, uh, Greyhound and Palm Springs, in fact, I know that uh, Greyhound, I have been hearing lots of people, like lots of word of mouth for this film in a way that it probably would have been overshadowed by a lot of the bigger releases that were supposed to come out in July. Greyhound is the Tom Hanks World War II film uh, that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm continuously shocked by how many more people like it. I thought I was maybe on an island with that film. And it, it, it is really worth checking out for a lot of listeners. And then Palm Springs, I, you know, Will and I kind of debated a little bit whether or not that movie would have uh, big legs um, theatrically because Andy Samberg has a troubled filmography when it comes to box office, even though he has cold hits under his belt for sure. So all that said, we're going to talk about this new film that is hitting VOD. And I am curious uh, if we would be ever be talking about it uh, otherwise, but this is the new film, The Rental. Let me show you out back and then I'll get out of your hair. The stars are insane out here. I should have brought the telescope. What do you need a telescope in the city for? Unless you're like a peeping Tom or something. The Rental is the directorial debut of Dave Franco, younger brother of James Franco, 
And I think, uh, I don't remember everything we've seen him in recently. Obviously, The Disaster Artist was his yeah. last maybe major uh, film. And then also like Little Hours, things like that. Did anything from 2018, 2019 Franco was in that I'm forgetting about? When did the Now You See Me sequel come out? Was that 2018 or is that 2017? Mm. I think that was, uh, I think that was maybe 2016. To oh, be was honest. it? Oh man. Yeah. I think that was a while back. Um, I, I guess there was also nerve in 2016 and then I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, oh yeah. Sorry. He did have a quick role in uh six underground. Forgot about that one, but, uh, uh oh, he also was in, uh, if Bale street. Oh, that's true. Yes. Yeah, that was where I was going to jump in and and mention that he had a small role in If Beale Street Could Talk. It was still kind of like a smaller supporting role, though, not a starring one, obviously. Right. So he hasn't been starring in a lot of things, I guess. But this new film is kind of like a paranoia thriller that he co-wrote with Joe Swanberg. Joe Swanberg is a guilty pleasure director for me. I've seen most of his films and I like a lot of them. I I, obviously uh, Drinking Buddies is probably his most culturally recognizable one and the rental funny enough is basically if drinking buddies turned into a slasher movie <laughs> basically at the very end um, it stars dan stevens allison brie sheila vand and jeremy allen weiss also toby huss a very very recognizable cast i think i've seen every one of these actors in at least one other thing and of course dan stevens and allison brie are the probably the most recognizable characters in here. And the basic setup is kind of what we've seen before in plenty of other films of this nature. We have a group of friends, two couples, actually. Um, They decide that they want to get away for a weekend and they essentially do an Airbnb rental out uh, not too far from the Bay Area. And they go there and some weird things start to happen. The man who is giving them the keys, he is clearly pretty racist and he's uh, has some racist attitudes toward Sheila Vance's character. And we also have some relationship drama because Dan Stevens' character is married to Alison Bree's character. Alison Bree is Dave Franco's real life wife, by the way. And uh, so we're seeing them kind of reunite uh, creatively uh, since, uh, I guess, Little Hours and uh, Disaster Artist. But yeah, so Dan Stevens and Alison Bree's characters are married, but clearly there's some kind of weird thing where Dan Stevens' younger brother, played by Jeremy Allen White, You'll probably you've seen him in things like Shameless, and he is he is dating Dan Stevens' character's work partner, played by Sheila Vand, and clearly there's some kind of weird tension. There. There's some kind of weird, maybe this person kind of likes this person and they shouldn't, and it's it's relationship drama, and that's really what the first part of this movie is until it turns into a totally different kind of film, and I think that's sort of dividing audiences. This sort of like going from one type of thing to another type of thing. And I'm of the mind that it doesn't quite work. Uh, This is a new film from IFC, by the way. We talked about uh, an IFC film last week, Relics. So they're kind of taking advantage of this blank slate in the release schedule. But let's talk about the rental. Uh, Starting with you, Abby, what what do you think of this movie? Is it it worth checking out in your opinion? Um, I would say so. I actually kind of like the, uh, the slow burn nature of it um i i agree it's it feels like uh yeah the horror movie version of drinking buddies um and it's it's got that element of it going for about three quarters of the film uh and then things really ramp up in the last part and i feel like boy do they ramp up hard um (laughs) uh and something that i find particularly scary about this movie 
is that it's it's one of those where the um you don't you don't see the uh, the killer for a really long time and then once they reveal themselves you have really no idea of their motivation you never learn much about their motivation um and their methods are super creepy and relentless um and it just kind of leaves this weird taste in your mouth of witnessing the actions of somebody who like has no guiding compass other than just wanting to murder um which as a woman who lives by herself i find quite frightening so uh there were parts of this movie that really did freak me out um and uh i think the performances are really good um it's great to see sheila vand in something where she has um a role like this and uh more lines <laughs> uh i i know her best from uh a girl walks home alone at night which uh she was awesome in but if i remember correctly mostly silent um so it's it's cool to see her in something a little bit less stylized yeah i remember seeing her in argo i think it was probably the first film i remember seeing her and uh yeah it's it's great to see her having a, a bigger role i think she is i think every main actor in here is interesting to watch and i think that's the tension for me is i actually was invested in this movie almost the whole way through because i i liked that these were very despicable characters that i did that were hard to sympathize with there was something kind of nihilistic about that in, in a way that kind of spoke to me <laughs> uh it, yeah abby you touched on just just the paranoia in this movie it it is a sort of thing where it feels like there there are some movies that like ruin summer activities uh jaws for example <laughs> ruins like going out in the ocean it makes you scared of that sort of fun activity and in this case the same sort of thing is happening with Airbnb. Uh, you really do not know. Like this, this is a house that somebody could come and go as they please. Somebody else has the keys, and you don't know. This is a stranger, and our social contract can kind of easily break down if one person just decides. And uh, it, it's that sort of thing that really freaks me out. Um, as just anybody, I think can watch this and definitely relate with uh, that that fear that they might have of just taking such a big risk that we don't always consider a risk. But all right, Will, Will Ashton, William Tyler, uh, what did you think of the rental? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds uh, relating to Dave Franco in that I think this is a very impressive debut in one sense and not an impressive debut in another. And I think what impressed me was Dave Franco as a director seemed pretty confident. He was pretty restrained in a way that I wasn't anticipating going into this. I felt uh his uh sensibilities as far as like kind of it's it, it seems like some people are calling this a thriller some people are calling it a horror movie I, I see it more as a horror film with kind of like thriller dramatic elements in here you might disagree with that i don't know but i'm, I'm the exact other way around i i okay. consider it a thriller with some minor horror elements but it's worth debating yeah i mean it's not really like a have it's definitely a light horror film but i'd say i would qualify as a horror film overall but um yeah i mean i think his understanding of the genre. I mean, it's not particularly novel or individualistic as far as his approach to it, but he does seem to be pretty confident coming out of the gate. And I think uh, obviously as being an actor, I think he gets a lot of good performances out of the main cast. And I think it's very economical as far as his approach, like focusing on one central location, kind of building the atmosphere and the dread from there. 
uh, showcases a young filmmaker that I think uh, if he wants to continue directing, I could definitely see a bright future for him there. But as a screenwriter, um, I just don't think the characters are super fleshed out in a way that I found particularly intriguing or investing. Uh, I found like their central conflicts to be kind of just, you know, basic uh, in a way that I, I think it's not bad. Like, I think the performers do a good job with flushing uh, some good performances and good characters out of that. But um, I don't think what Dave Franco was doing as a writer was quite as interesting as what he was doing as a director here. And uh, I think that's a shame because I think if this maybe even had like a second or third pass as a screenwriting or a screenplay is concerned. Um, I, I think this might have been something that was really solid and really uh, something worth remarking upon. And I think as it stands right now, I think it's it's fine. It's solid. I definitely am impressed as far as uh, seeing Dave Franco prove himself as a director, because I don't think he did any like short films or anything before this. I'm pretty sure this is like his first main thing. Like he might have done like a funnier die video or something. But uh, this is like his first real foray into uh, directing. And I think it, it definitely shows that he has some chops and he took uh inspiration pretty well from his past uh, collaborators but um yeah i think it's it's solid it's fine like I, th- I think it's a pretty decent debut but it's not really a film that i think uh lives up to its full potential and i don't imagine it's gonna be a film that sticks with me long after but uh for the 90 minutes that i was watching it i wasn't bored yeah it's a short movie graciously short um, and in some ways, I actually found that to be maybe a detriment. And uh, my main criticism of this film is that I just, for me personally, I think that last thriller portion where you say it's more of like a horror movie, I just thought was completely underwhelming. I, I just did not find it. And I think, Abby, you disagree. So I want to hear what you have to say about it and what well, worked for it with you. But I don't know, just something about it. It did not stick out to me. It did not feel satisfying in any sort of way. Not that like death is satisfying, but just sort of like the the whole idea of like being hunted and characters trying to overcome these very difficult circumstances and survive just nothing about it really stood out i suppose for me uh you were right will that uh yeah dave franco this is his first time really directing something he's i think he's only written in an executive produced short other films that are more like uh short films and yeah aside from like funny or die which i think he has directed at least one of those uh shorts that he's done or that he's been in so it is interesting to see him kind of come out and uh, kind of in the shadow of his older brother, who has been under a lot of public scrutiny lately, directing his first thing. And we know, of course, James Franco's directed quite a few films. And yeah, it's, it's interesting to see him break out. And when I was going into this, I was looking for that. Uh, you kind of called it like individualistic style. What What is his approach as a filmmaker? And Overall, I, you know, I, I credit some of the things I like about this film probably more to Joe Swanberg because the things that I got invested in, which things I tend to like about Joe Swanberg films like Win It All, for example, is the sort of sympathizing with dark characters, characters you're not supposed to like. I think uh, Joe Swanberg and Dan Stevens are really the secret weapon to making that work. I think that Dan Stevens is such an incredible actor that you are able to like a terrible and unlikable person and not like in the sense where you root for him necessarily but you want to watch him continue on screen and you want to see what he's going to do next because his choices just seem well written and the performance is really there and i think that one thing you can credit dave franco with is that he i think he is good at bringing those performances out of those actors i think he's working with really great actors and i don't think that they're let down in this instance and i actually had the thought i was like man you know dan stevens 
just the versatility that this guy is bringing, I think between this and Eurovision and Apostle and so many other great films he's done, a lot of his work in general, he really is one of our best male actors right now. I, I think that he's like climbing the ranks quickly and he's really overwhelming, I think, uh, his body of work to, to support that that insistence that I have for him and his uh, career. But yeah, Abby, I want to hear from you. Um, it sounds like you you did like the latter portion of this film. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And uh, I want to open it up here for uh, some light spoiler talk, actually. So if you don't want to know anything about the anything that happens in like, the last part of the film we won't get too detailed necessarily but just be careful because you might not want to know too much um so that said abby uh, yeah what, what was your take on this portion of the film yeah um thanks for opening it up to light spoiler talk because i probably will get into some light spoiler territory um i did want to say that i think uh another thing that that uh is sort of a hallmark of joe swanberg style that i think shows up in the film in a big way, uh, is that he always goes for these kind of naturalistic uh, interactions and setups, um, which, depending on what you want in a movie, may or may not work for you. Um, they kind of sometimes they do work and sometimes they don't work for me. I think it's it's an interesting approach in a, a genre like this. Uh, but I also feel like a movie like this relies so much on uh, on tension that a little more structure, I think, would have done this movie some good. Uh, the fact that it is only 80 minutes, I think, is is pretty interesting. But there's there's a way to kind of make that feel a little tighter than it does. Um, but what it does do, I think, is set up um, some interesting dynamics between the characters that feel like actual real relationships. So, uh, like, throughout the movie, uh, Alison Breed's character, who's married to Dan Stevens, um, has to kind of uh, wrestle with some 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 truths about her relationship with her husband, some details that she might not have previously known, um, as well as uh, she frequently kind of feels like the odd character out. And I feel like that performance especially feels her, her reactions to that feel very natural and real uh, in a way that I really sympathized with. Uh, so what happens to her character later on in the film, I, I found really kind of surprising and sort of a bummer because of all of them, she feels like the one that is the most final girl ish um like i'm i'm not going to try to spoil too much like everybody ends up getting something bad that happens to them but um out of all of them i think i sympathized with her character the most um but yeah i think the the interesting thing for me in the in the last part of this movie like doesn't happen until like the very very end um and it sort of pulls away to show what a microcosm the story that we just watched is uh, in the uh, the actions and and life of the person who is committing these crimes, who's like setting up the Airbnb and um, terrorizing and trying to kill the people who stay in the Airbnb. Um, and it's just this weird kind of macro sense of what matters, what doesn't matter, um, how little the lives of the people that we've been watching actually matter to the person who's trying to kill them. Um, and I think that was the thing that scared me the most. There's nothing that freaks you out, like a sense of your own insignificance. <laughs> um, and that uh, I think was something that this movie kind of brought to the fore for me in a way that, that kind of shocked me in the final moments. Yeah. That's some really interesting points there because yeah, I had that feeling and it's not a not an opposite feeling, but it definitely was this 
sort of wish I had that the final minutes and at the end credits, like that creepiness, like that, like I said before, paranoia could have been maybe stretched to match the entire film. I think we could have had something that uh, maybe maybe brings on that thing that works for you to, on a bigger scale, maybe. Uh, that's just one thought I have. Uh, but yeah, I'm curious what you think, Will. You know, you kind of mentioned that some of this stuff didn't work for you. Was it was it really more of how the the kills themselves was it because you mentioned you like the tension and the atmosphere and things to that nature but yeah when it came to the actual like slasher movie details uh is that what fell short for you um yes and no i guess because i i found the slasher elements to be fine like i don't think they're particularly inventive or like unique in any particular way but they're not poorly done i i didn't find them to be necessarily grading in any particular sense but um, yeah, I mean, they're fine. Like, I, I think that wasn't really what took me out of it in any particular sense. Uh, so much as I just kind of had mixed feelings throughout the film as far as the approach. Like, I think I admired the slow burn that was going on before it. I just didn't think the characters themselves were as fleshed out or as like narratively investing as I think maybe Joe Swanberg and Dave Franco thought. Like, I found them to be kind of composites more than they were really fully fleshed characters. But I think the actors themselves really do a lot of the heavy lifting there, especially like we're saying, uh, Sheila Vand and Alison Brie. I think they're both uh, quite good in this. I think they bring a lot of interesting uh, characteristics to their performances that I think makes them feel a little bit more relatable than they were on the page, uh, at least in my view. But um, yeah, I, I mean, overall, I just kind of have mixed feelings about, I think, the writing of the film. Uh, and I guess it's kind of a credit to the fact that Joe Swanberg from what I can tell, traditionally does more like improv and like kind of like workshops his scripts like as he's making them. And it seems like this one kind of stuck to the script a little bit more than his other films uh, as far as like as a director. But um, I don't know if that was maybe the shortcoming there is that like maybe they just didn't have a little bit more of that uh, like kind of like ingrained realism that I think might have made it a little bit more fleshed out, a little bit more investing for me at least. But uh, yeah, as far as the slasher elements that you were referring to, I, I thought they were fine. Like, I don't really have any strong negative feelings as far as those. All right. Yeah. So I guess we can def- safely assume that we have a good range of opinions here. And that's good because I think that this is a film that maybe maybe is a little tricky to recommend for some folks. So uh, to finish out as I give my grade on this one, you know, yeah, I, I maintain that I think that this is mainly a thriller film. I don't think that the horror is strong enough to really like classify it, at least for me. I don't think I would come to someone and say, you want a horror film? Here you go. I'd say, here's a thriller film, with, like some light horror elements, just my opinion. And then I want to hear from Abby too, what you think about this, because I, I don't think we really heard from you uh, fully on that. But yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what everybody's saying. I think that, yeah, it, I do think this uh, Dave Franco as a director, uh, this is a like half and half debut. Some of it's impressive. Some of it's not. I agree that it is pretty confident overall. I think that the central location and the atmosphere and the building of it makes for uh, an overall decent experience. I think that, yes, it's economical in the sense that it's 88 minutes and they're not trying to do too much. And it's not one of those directorial debuts where everything is being thrown at the wall here. But at the same time, I think it's, I think it's pretty fair to say that this isn't Franco really putting a stamp on a film as a director. And he's probably not trying to do that. And I kind of like that. I think, Will, you said it was more restrained. I do actually appreciate that to quite an extent. I don't think every directorial debut needs to be a total flash of style in order to for a director to really say, this is me, everyone. Um, so I do appreciate it on some level. But yeah, I, I just think that the final act is 
pretty mediocre. I was pretty underwhelmed. I didn't think the explanations for everything were that satisfying. Um, I did, I do agree with Abby in the sense that like that very final section does sort of raise things that are really creepy. And, and some of that stuff did kind of bring me to, that's an interesting way to end this movie, but it did also make me question why the rest of the movie couldn't have been played up in this way. And I felt, I don't know, I felt like I was presented one thing and then I got something else. And I'm having a little bit of a jarring experience to that, which is why I wonder if other people might watch this and have the same experience. Last thing I'll say before I give my grade, I do think Allison Brie is really good. I agree with that. I think that this kind of character she's playing is usually pretty vilified. You know, this character is usually like the nagging kind of person or somebody that you can't sympathize with as much. And you're just like, why can't she just not be here right now? And what I like about this, and who knows, maybe it kind of plays into the fact that she is married to the director, is I think this character is given more sympathy and agency and a character arc that I think is a bit more satisfying <laughs> compared to what we may have gotten in a different film. So uh, even though I don't totally enjoy how all of that stuff ends out, and uh, I do have to call out Alison Breeze, drug-fueled dialogue is really fun <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite aspects of the movie. I, I have to say, I, I'm going to go with a C plus on the rental I do think it's worth renting, I think, uh, not to be too cute about it. And in this case, yeah, you know, like a C plus, it's like, it's okay. You know, that's not saying that it's bad, not saying that it's it's uh, not worth watching or anything like that. I just think that it's it's okay. I think some people are going to enjoy it. Some people are going to maybe not enjoy it as much. I don't I couldn't see somebody like really hating this, but I guess that's possible. Um, but Abby Olchesi, uh, what about you? What's your grade on this? And, you know, I asked you earlier if you could talk more about what do you think of the genre in this case? And yeah, just any final thoughts you have? Sure. Um, I think I would probably give this a solid B. Um, and I would also, I, I'm kind of 50-50 on the, uh, the thriller slash horror elements. I think uh, the first several parts of it really do lean more in the thriller territory, but the uh, the nature of the killer himself i think is 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 purely a like a, a horror kind of creation um there's definitely some recognizable hallmarks that they're picking up on there um in ways that kind of harken back to uh john carpenter's halloween which also has sort of a a long slow burn uh introduction of the uh of the actual killer and similarly wears a, a mask that covers his entire head um and also some ways that uh, hearken to uh, Michael Haneke's movie Cash uh, or Cache, uh, which is, I think, a solid thriller. So it's it's got elements of both for sure, which makes it really hard to classify. But like in in the days of rental stores, I think it probably would have been accurately at home in either of those sections. Um, so if you're if you're a, a person who only watches thrillers and doesn't like horror, this might be an interesting introduction uh, into some elements of that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it it kind of fits into both, which can sometimes make it a little harder to classify and enjoy if you're more purely one or the other. Um, but yeah, I I like it. I think there are some parts of it that could be a little tighter. I think as a um, as a directorial debut, I think it's a really interesting kind of toe in the water for uh, for Dave Franco. Uh, there were times when I was watching it that I felt like years in the future, if he does end up making more films and they do end up being a little more individualized or particularly of one kind of genre or another, that this would be an interesting one to come back to and kind of recognize 
the roots of a person's career. Uh, again, I know that's that's super jumping the gun, but uh, I think there's a lot of potential here uh, and a couple of scenes that have some really good framing that I think show that he is at least a person to kind of continue paying attention to, if not be excited for the the things he does in the future. So yeah, a solid B from me. And uh, I think a, a good recommendation for the situation that we're currently in. This isn't one that I would like rush out to the theaters to go see, but one that I would heartily recommend for like a Saturday night rental, which is what I did. All right. Yeah, I think uh, we'll have to have you back on to talk about Dave Franco's uh, filmography as a whole. Maybe in 15, 20 years, we were discussing the uh, the 20 films of Dave Franco, and it all started with the rental, I suppose. But all right, Will Ashton, uh, finish us out. What are your final thoughts and grades on the rental? Yeah, I mean, well, first, just to clarify a couple things. I mean, when I do talk about the movie being economical and restrained, uh, I mean, those are compliments. Like, I don't want to make it sound like that that's any sort of detriment to the film. Like, I, I do applaud James Franco for knowing what film he is making. And I think the style does Dave come Franco. out. Sorry, Dave Franco. Uh, Dave Franco, uh, as far as... It was, a, um, it was a Franconian slip. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the approach to the film, I, I do think there's enough style here that it doesn't need to be its own thing. Like, I don't expect any filmmaker coming right out of the gate to have everything figured out as far as like what they want to do to make their style uh, any different from any other filmmaker. I think this is intentionally trying to be evocative of other filmmakers, like you're saying, Abby, like John Carpenter and a few others. Like, I think those are all intentional and I think that's perfectly fine for a debut. Uh, yeah. And, and as far as the horror thriller thing, I mean, I'm not married to either. Uh, I think I ultimately agree more with Abby in that, like, I think it fits in either genre fine. I'm just more willing to call it a horror movie because I think so often horror movies uh, get classified as something else when they do well or tend to do well. So I want to clarify that, like, this is, I think, more than a horror movie, not that it, like scared me out of my wits or anything. If anything, I think it could not a little bit more in the horror department to really win me over. But uh, I think it fits in that category more than it doesn't. So uh, as far as the film itself, um, yeah, I think I, I, I've kind of mostly summed up my thoughts. Uh, the only thing I really wanted to say was that uh, I realized as I was watching the credits that Sean Durkin produced this, who is the uh, filmmaker behind Martha, Marcy May Marlene, and a few other films I really liked. And that reminded me that uh, I think Dave Franco's greatest strength here is that he surrounded himself with a lot of collaborators who are really talented and know what they're doing. For instance, the film is shot by Kristen uh, Spellinger. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a Christian Springer. Yeah, Christian Springer, who did uh, my favorite film of 2017, Brigsby Bear, as well as Atlanta and Glow and uh, Guava Island and a few other things I think are really good uh, and Baskets. And then the score is from like the guys who I believe did like the the music for like The Lodge. And I think, um, yeah, Danny Bensey and uh, Sandra Jurians, right? Yeah, like the one I love and a few other films. Uh, and I really like the score of this slide. I didn't talk about that enough. I think that is uh, really one of the main ways that this movie is able to stay together really quite well. Um, and the editing I thought was pretty strong, especially for a debut. And I think that guy also worked on like Barry and Atlanta and a few other things I quite enjoy. So I think that's really I think where the movie comes together is that like it's clear that Dave Franco knew what he wanted to do here. I think he handled himself pretty well. And I think he surrounded himself with collaborators who know what they're doing and helped him kind of cradle that vision. And I think that as a result, he made a pretty decent debut. I just wish the screenplay was a little bit more robust and a little bit more meaty as far as what it's trying to do and what it's trying to say. Ultimately, I think it just kind of comes in a little half hearted in that in that category, which uh, I think ultimately 
is a bummer because I think if that was as strong as the other elements here, this would have been a film that would have been championed as maybe like a B, B plus type film. But as it stands, um, I go back between B minus and C plus. I'm somewhere around uh, the middle of you two. I, I think I'm going to give it a low B minus just because I think the craftsmanship here is solid enough to the point where I, I don't feel bad recommending it. But I do agree with you, John, that I think by the end, I did feel this kind of underwhelming sensibility where I was just kind of hoping that it would win me over just a little bit more than ultimately did. But uh, I think there's enough here to recommend and enough that I took out of it that uh, it's a worthwhile watch. And I'll keep an eye out for what Dave Franco has uh, in store. I believe if I read correctly, he wrote a romantic comedy (laughs) to do next uh, after this. And I think uh, once the pandemic, if it ever and in a timely fashion, I think that's what he wants to direct next. So it seems like he's going to diverse himself as a filmmaker a decent bit from here. So I'm curious to see where he goes. But as a debut, I think he did a nice job. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that I'm the lowest grade on this. But uh, that's not a bad thing. I think that it that is an interesting treatise, maybe, or uh, you know, a discussion for another day on the idea of how the ending of a film can sometimes ruin the whole film for someone. And I guess that's kind of what happened with me. Cause I actually was more of like with you, Abby, I was like more of a B on this uh, most of the way through, uh, but good range of opinions here uh, between us. Yeah. So C plus for me, B minus for will and a B for Abby and uh, not bad. That's not a bad range. Let's get into our next film. Yes. God. Yes. And Abby, you checked this one out. It stars Natalia Dyer, who you might recognize quickly from stranger things. I think she plays Nancy and this is a sort of drama comedy, dramedy sort of thing that premiered in 2019 at South by Southwest. And it is playing right now in drive-in theaters and virtual cinemas. I've really been looking forward to checking this out for, um, I've heard, I heard about it a while back and I was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, that's kind of interesting. But when I started to see some like chatter about this film that A, it takes place in the early 2000s and B, it's a sort of about being in like a, an evangelical, in this case, Catholic church environment, uh, when you're coming of age, that's when I was like, oh, it's a movie about me. And so I now am very curious how this one turns out. And I'm hearing some good reviews, but Abby Chessy, let's hear from you. What is Yes, God, Yes about? And what did you think of the movie? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk more about this because I really I like this movie a lot. Um, I actually reviewed it for uh, Crooked Marquee. So if you want to check out the review, you can uh, you can go over there and kind of read full thoughts on it. Uh, but yeah, I actually originally did see this in 2019 when it premiered at South by Southwest. Uh, and at the time, I remembered thinking like I, I really had some strong reactions to it. And then because of the festival setting, kind of second guessing a lot of it where I was just like, is it really as good as I thought it was? Uh, but checking it out again to review uh, just this last week, like it is, it's as good as I thought it was and, and actually better. Um, <laughs> it's uh, about um, uh, Natalia Dyer's character, Alice. It's going to be really hard for me not to call her Nancy. Um, Alice, uh, who is a sophomore at a Catholic high school, uh, around 2001. And, uh, this is of course like the beginning of, of like the real sort of digital age where AOL, uh, is, is still a thing. And, uh, AIM, uh, AOL instant messenger is like a thing that she is on frequently. Um, and so two things kind of happened to Alice early in the film that, um, sort of caused the catalyst for the rest of the plot. One is that she, uh, kind of stumbles into a, uh, 
a, a, a dirty chat basically uh, through AIM that she's not meaning to get into. Uh, but her reaction to it is that she, she feels kind of turned on by it and doesn't really understand why. Um, and the second is that uh, some some kids in her high school are uh, accusing her of performing a sex act at a party with a boy that she likes uh, who has a girlfriend and she didn't do this, but she can't properly convince other people that she didn't. Um, and in the midst of all this, they're getting pretty strict um, lessons on, uh, on sexual education uh, from their, their uh, priest played by Timothy Simons, who's great in this movie, very awkward and funny. Um, and so Alice decides that she is going to kind of regain her social standing and clear her name by going to a uh, four day retreat that's put on by her school. Uh, so she goes with a group of kids to this retreat and she is kind of simultaneously presented with um, uh, a challenge of, of, of further temptation in the form of one of the counselors who she kind of has the hots for um, and also kind of the hypocrisy of how she feels naturally and what she's being taught. Um, so there's sort of a, an ongoing confrontation within Alice herself and then eventually outwardly with uh, her teachers and some of the other students. Um, so yeah, I, I uh, grew up in the early 2000s or came of age in the early 2000s as well. Um, didn't have a Catholic background, but uh, had a lot of similar experiences to Alice in terms of like, uh, certain elements of youth retreats and being taught very uh, conflicting things between uh, my church and my school and things that I was um, coming to understand myself. Uh, and I think the the advent of online chat had a lot to do with that, actually. So yeah, um, John, like you, when I saw this movie, there were several points throughout where I just was shocked at how close to my own experience it came. Um there are certain elements of the retreat that if you if you have been to a youth retreat in any way, shape, or form, uh, evangelical or Catholic or whatever, like there are parts of this that you will recognize and it will kind of frighten you and make you laugh very hard, which is what I did. Um, it, it was one of those films that I was kind of glad that I got to watch by myself because it feels like it really had a personal connection for me and also I could react loudly to certain parts of it. Uh, but yeah, Natalia Dyer does a great job um, kind of engaging very naturally with uh, with the story. Nothing is really over the top. Uh, all of it feels very uh, emotionally accurate. Um, and yeah, Timothy Simons is great as sort of the the awkward, a little bit too earnest priest. Uh, and Donna Lynn Champlin of uh, Crazy, uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, yeah, of Crazy Ex Girlfriend is in this as well, and kind of a smaller role, uh, but she's Paula. she's also very Paula. good. So yeah, Love uh, her. yeah, yeah, all around. It's it's kind of a low key film, but uh, like I was saying earlier, one of those that I think really benefits from getting a uh, on demand release like this. Uh, I think you can currently rent it from uh, a lot of digital cinemas. Um, so you can, I mean, you can watch it and support your local theater if that's what you'd like to do. Uh, but in a couple of weeks, I think it comes out on uh, like a proper VOD release, which I, I think, think in a we'll few days, even, yeah, 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 in a few days. Yeah. That's yes, that's right. Yeah. So it'll be even, even more accessible to people. So I hope a lot of people watch it because it's, it's really a very charming and fun movie. That's yes, God, yes. And I, I am saying yes, God, yes, to watching this movie. 
And uh, the main reason is, uh, yeah, a lot of what you're saying really appeals to me personally. Uh, this this does sound like the kind of comedy I would enjoy. You know, I, I it looks to me like something that could be a better version of a movie I like but don't love, Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is also a film kind of going back to like, in, the, in that film's case, the 1990s in this sort of like, uh, that was more about like a Christian gay conversion therapy camp. This one seems to be a little bit more of like a heterosexual sort of take on it, which uh, I'll probably just more directly relate to, but then also just the idea that, you know, just seeing like these characters, like, uh, and, like almost like this is a response to saved, you know, cause that's a film that actually came out during this time. So I'm curious how it's going to compare to that. And I really like Natalia Dyer. Uh, you know, she's done some minor performances in bigger films like velvet buzzsaw, but I, I always thought that she was like a character in stranger things. who doesn't quite get her due for how talented I think she really is. And not to criticize her too much in that show or anything. It's just something that I've I've always felt like she does have the chops to really be in something like this, like it's just a really sparkling indie dramedy. So I am I'm definitely looking forward to checking this one out. And uh, would you say your grade for this one was? Um, I would I would give this an A. An A from Abby. A for Abby. And, That's right. Uh, <laughs> glad to hear it. All right. Um, high recommendation from you. Yeah, like you said, it's going to be on more VOD options uh, starting on July 28th. But yes, definitely support your virtual cinema this way. I, I wish I had done that uh, before we started this episode. I really want to see this and uh, really, really anxious to check this one out as well. And then, uh, Will, I think I think you said that you want to check it out at some point, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was somewhat familiar with the short film that I believe this is based on. Uh, and then Right, I- yeah, from 2017. Yeah. And then uh, I forgot they made the feature as well, but uh, it's exciting to hear that it is as good as it is. So I'll have to keep this on my radar. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I, I have to be honest, guys. Uh, <laughs> I have to be honest. If I ever make a movie, it's probably going to be about Bible camp retreats like this. And it'll probably take place in like 2004. That's just putting it out there. If it ever actually happens, I don't think I'll ever make a movie. I don't really want to. But if I Your do. Your swashbuckling uh, Bible camp movie. <laughs> I'm not good enough to make swat. I would not do that because if I'm going to make a swashbuckling film, it has to be amazing. And I don't think I have the talent to do that, unfortunately. I guess maybe the listeners don't know what I'm referring to. When I've talked to John about like if we were to make movies we'd make, you said you'd probably make like a swashbuckling kind of like Zorro film because. uh, But it would have to be like when I'm at my absolute prime. If I had if I was doing like a feature debut, it would be something like this because I feel like I have to get this story off my chest about what it was like to go to these things when we were in middle school. So very interesting. Yeah, that's yes. God. Yes. And a from Abby L. Chelsea. High recommendation. Let's finish the show out with our final review. This is the documentary for, unfortunately, the, tragically, the the late John Lewis who passed away recently. This documentary came out recently as well on July 3rd, and it's called John Lewis, Good Trouble. Will Eshin, you had a chance to see this film, which features a lot of prominent voices, uh, specifically in the Democratic Party. I think uh, Hillary Clinton shows up in this, along with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, many others. I think Bill Clinton as well, and um, lots of familiar faces, so... John Lewis, Good Trouble. This is a, a new documentary. And how can people stream it, by the way? I think this is VOD. Am I correct about that? Yeah, I believe it's VOD. I checked it out through a virtual cinema. Um, I, I felt that was the, the best way to go. I actually went with my old college art house theater because I felt like if I'm going to see an educational film, I might as well get, pay my due to the educational uh, theater that I went to in college. Can, so. you, can you plug it so some of the listeners who might be interested could uh, check it out through there? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, that's the Athena Cinema in Athens, Ohio, uh, one of the oldest and most historic art house theaters in the country. 
uh, I would highly, highly recommend uh, supporting them if you want to support a local indie cinema. Uh, I, I have gone to that place many times and I've had nothing but very positive and affirming uh, experiences. So if you want to support any particular indie theater, uh, that would be a great one to support for sure. Um, yeah, so this is a documentary that had the, uh, I guess, kind of fortunate, unfortunate timing of coming out uh, just a few weeks, I believe, before uh, the, like you said, John Lewis uh, untimely, uh, untimely passing uh, on the 17th of July. And uh, I, I was on my reader before this, but uh, I knew when he passed that I definitely needed to make a point to see this. And I think we would have talked about it on our last episode if uh, we weren't recording it earlier than we usually do. So I definitely wanted to make a point to see it. And I'm glad I did because um, I think as a film, it's a very lovely and emotional tribute to the civil rights leader who uh, I, I believe uh, he's been taught about in a good bit. But if you don't know, like he has had a 60 year career of uh, fighting for civil rights. Uh, he marched with Martin Luther King. I believe uh, Stephen James played him in Selma. If I Correct, yeah. remember 2015 film. Yeah. Uh, so you might recognize him. Yeah. F- you might recognize him from there, but I mean, he is just, you know, one of the most historic uh, political figures in U S history. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people did feel his passing just because he was such a, you know, uh, present figure throughout our recent history and uh, in our past as well. And, um, you know, this documentary really does a nice job of exploring uh, his history and his legacy in a way that I don't think if you go into knowing a good bit about him, I don't think you're going to like walk away uh, like learning that much because it doesn't dive particularly deep into his history or who he was as a person. But I, I do think as at least, you know, like as a starter point for anybody who wanted to know about him and what he was able to accomplish on his time in this earth, I definitely think it's a good primer in that respect. But I also think is, you know, as a send off to this political figure, I think it's a very lovely and meaningful film. Um, We get a lot of time spent with John Lewis, where he is speaking uh, about his history. Uh, We also see him at a lot of political rallies and talking to people. And we get to see firsthand kind of this fly in the wall perspective of him just, you know, changing people as like they just he just like goes by and just, you know, has all these very nice uh, interactions with people and they get to tell him about uh how much he meant to them and you know he it's so clear that like he was such a meaningful figure for so many reasons and i think this movie is very respectful and uh uh gentle as far as who he was and uh seeing him get the send-off in a way i I guess it wasn't really intended to be a send-off but it does work in that respect for uh you know this figure who continued to uh, his final days to really represent a lot of people and do a lot of good. Um, but as far as the execution of the film itself, I mean, I don't think it, it does anything that uh, you wouldn't expect. Like, I think it, it definitely does kind of just feel like a glorified TV documentary. And I don't mean that to be like too derogatory or too negative. I just mean that like, it's not exceptionally cinematic as far as its approach or what it's trying to do. Uh, but I think it's smart in that for the most part, it just focuses on John Lewis, letting him speak for himself, uh, having family of his speak for him and his history. Uh, and I guess as far as the like, talking heads, your t- uh, segments that you're talking about with um, Hillary and Bill Clinton and uh, AOC and I think Nancy Pelosi is supposed to be in as well. Yeah, I believe she is. Yeah, she has a couple segments. Um, 
I could kind of take or leave those because they just they kind of just feel like a way of selling the movie to me. Like I, I didn't really think they those segments particularly added too much to the film, but I don't think they're particularly bad to have either. I just kind of felt like you know like they're they're there just to kind of like throw on the trailer like hey these people are in it. Um, but I, I think the movie itself uh, it comes from a filmmaker named Don Porter who I haven't seen her other films before this, but uh, I think she does a nice job with this, and I think she knows that. You know, ultimately, it's about John Lewis and John Lewis is good about speaking for himself and representing himself. And uh, I, I, the movie just ultimately follows him more than it doesn't. And it, like I said, it's not a particularly deep film as far as like exploring his life and legacy and all that. But uh, I, I think it's a very nice film all the same. And so I give it a pretty hearty B minus for that reason. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Don Porter. Yeah, Don Porter has made uh, some really great documentaries since I think her first one was Gideon's Army, which came out, uh, I think, seven or eight years ago. And, yeah, I did uh, hear about that one. I didn't get yeah. a chance to see it, but I know it got good reviews. That one is about uh, a group of black public defenders um, in South America. And uh, one of her more, um, I think, provocative in a good way provocative projects was spies of mississippi which was a it was kind of a shorter documentary and it was kind of tackling the idea or not the idea the fact that uh, when she was making the film there's only one abortion clinic in all of mississippi and um, just just them making this film they had to like hire police to stand guard outside of the screenings um, because anti-abortion activists were um, basically trying to, they had to like check weapons basically, cause there were some threats. And, uh, so it, it's, it's wonderful that Don Porter was brought on for this because I think she definitely resembles that motto of the getting into good trouble, you know, making things that are intended to provoke because of the fact that they, they definitely bring up something that is uh, necessary to hear, but not everyone wants to hear it. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, getting into this one. I have it rented and ready to watch and everything. And yeah, you know, I, yeah, th- this whole thing with John Lewis, you know, we recently also saw the passing of Elijah Cummings. And I think one of these things that I re- I think that this documentary can serve like its purpose is that I think that it can educate people who kind of celebrate civil rights leaders performatively. They lionize or um, try to come off like they're lionizing these civil rights leaders. And um, when really in actuality, they're constantly fighting to undermine what these heroes stand for. I'm going to say my own personal political opinion here, but people like Marco Rubio, who post a photo of himself and Elijah Cummings and it's actual, or, and says that it's John Lewis, I think is so indicative of that. And what this documentary serves to do is to show those people, this is who this person really was and challenge you to actually get into it. I mean, this is a guy who actually met these people and couldn't tell them apart. And that sort of tells you everything you need to know about how some people view these civil rights leaders as sort of like ornaments or sort of like how they treat Martin Luther King, you know, of like, oh yeah, of course I like Martin Luther King. Now here are all of these voter suppression tactics I'm using to disenfranchise people of color. And look, it's a political documentary. I'm going to get political. Uh, that's just something that I, I really think that this is what these documentaries can do. It's like some people like those pol- politicians I'm talking about it doesn't really matter. They're probably not going to watch these things. But if you're definitely of a mind where you do want to know the difference between John Lewis and Elijah Cummings, two wonderful American heroes, this is a a great starter for that and uh, definitely worth watching in that sense, um, based on what I'm hearing about it. And I'm looking forward to seeing it for myself. 
Yeah, Elijah Cummings actually interviewed in the film as well. And it's funny that you bring up the Mark Rubio thing because there's a segment in the film where he talks about how often he is confused for uh, John Lewis to the point where he just goes along with it because he's like, I don't want to tell these families that I'm not John Lewis. But yeah, I mean, I, I was that was on the back of my mind as well when I was watching the film. All right. Well, sorry, my rant is over. <laughs> um, and then Abby, I know you, Get off you your were talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Abby Olchesi, I know you were, you were saying off the air that you're also looking forward to seeing this one as well. And I'm, I'm curious what you might think of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to checking it out. I, uh, I've appreciated John Lewis's, uh, career and life and many, many contributions for a, a very long time. And, uh, I think it's, it's great to see him kind of getting the, the, the cinematic bio do that, uh, that he he really deserves. Uh, I know it's. I I don't want to compare him to other other people, but I know like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been kind of in a in a similar vein in terms of just somebody who's done a lot over the course of their life. And I enjoyed the the RBG documentary uh, quite a lot. And so it's it's nice to see that given to uh, uh, it's it's nice to see that same platform given to somebody who's done so much for the uh, the civil rights movement. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing it and kind of using that as an opportunity to uh, remember remember uh, John Lewis's life and kind of respect all of the great stuff that he's done and see what I can do to be a better ally, basically. Absolutely, same here. And uh, yeah, that's like Will said, that's streaming now on virtual cinemas and VOD. Uh, definitely seek it out. Let's finish out the show with what we might be reviewing next week. Here are some of the films on our radar. One of them is Summerland and IFC Films, another IFC film. They just keep coming out. Uh, this one's directed by Jessica Swale and it stars Gemma Arterton and Gugu Mbatu-Ra, among others. And uh, I don't know too much about this, but uh, I think, uh, Abby, we were kind of talking about it off the air. And I think this is like a British drama might be worth checking out. And uh, we also have Cutthroat City which was supposed to come out uh, a while ago. Will and I already kind of prefaced. This is the one directed by Riza, uh, Meek Moore, and Demetrius Ship Jr., among others. T.I., I think, is in this. Wesley Snipes. It's quite a cast. And uh, apparently that's going to finally be coming out. I'm curious if that's going to be any good. We also have The Informer, which uh, is from Aviron Pictures. Uh, another one I don't know too much about. I think it premiered uh, the Crime Festival Circuit or the UK last year. It's a, another British film. This one's a crime thriller. Um, directed by Andrea DeStofno, and it's based on a novel. So, uh, yeah, Joel Kinnaman is the main star in this. Uh, Anna Armas is in it as well. With Roseman Pike, Common, Clive Owen. Another interesting one with a good cast, although Joel Kinnaman has kind of been hit or miss. Depends on what you think of Suicide Squad, I suppose. And then last, Black is King. Are there, I mean, there might be a few others, but the last one I have on my list is uh, Black is King, which is hitting Disney Plus this week. This is like the uh, live-action Lion King Beyonce visual companion, I think is how you... It's like a tie-in album, basically, that Beyonce made um, to coincide with this remake. And uh, I'm kind of interested in that one. I see, I don't, I'm not usually into like these sorts of uh, projects, but if that's something you're interested in, if you have Disney Plus and you want to keep justifying that purpose, maybe you already burned through the whole library, the whole Disney vault's been unlocked for you, uh, this might be a new Disney Plus thing you're interested in. But Will, Abby, did I miss anything? What else? Is anything else coming out? I think that mostly covers it uh, for me. I think there's there's some pretty promising releases coming out. Uh, I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to Summerland. I've seen the trailer for that, and I think it looks like it could be kind of a, a nice, pleasant uh, period drama, which is something that I I don't know I I enjoy watching, so I could I could get behind that one. Uh, yeah, I mean the only uh, big one that I noticed was She Dies Tomorrow, which is the uh, Amy Simes uh, Simes film. 
Um, I, I've been hearing a lot of good things about that one. And I'm very excited about that one. I hope we get to cover that next week. Um, and I believe Jay Burchill has a film called Random Acts of Violence that's coming out. I don't know too much about it other than his involvement, but uh, that's another thing. And then the Ron Howard Rebuilding Paradise documentary, which I believe is for National Geographic. But uh, if any of those are of interest, I guess let us know in the comments uh, if that's something you'd like to hear us cover. Absolutely. And you can also email us, as always, cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you, Abby, for coming on the show. It's always great to have you on and uh, talk these movies, and especially ones that we missed. So thank you again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's always always good fun to be on Cinemaholics. All right, that'll do it for us this week on Cinemaholics. From the Internet California, I am John Agroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. From the Internet Kansas City, I'm Abby Olchesi. We'll see you next time.